Thank you for this man of God. Thank you that he loves you so much. Thank you that he spends so much time looking in your word to come and talk to us today. So Father, we just pray your blessing on him. Pray your anointing on him as he speaks to us about faithfulness. In your name, amen. Thank you. Morning, everyone. Good, good. Yes, this is exciting. I am really enjoying this series. Um, for, for those of you who haven't been around, uh, perhaps you're visiting today or perhaps uh, holidays have conspired that have, mean you've meant, have meant that you've missed part of this series, I'd encourage you to uh, take a look online and catch up. Uh, last week was gentleness. This week is faithfulness. And um, Josie's just prayed for me, but I'd like to pray for you guys. So would you just stand up for me, please, um, before we get started? I want to pray um, because we are reflecting the characteristics of God, and that is a fundamental part of what discipleship is and what discipleship means. And so this morning, I want to just take a moment and ask God to come and speak to us about faithfulness. So, yeah, place your hands in front of you, whatever you feel comfortable doing, and just say, Lord God, we come before you this morning, and we ask, would you come and speak to us directly about what it means to be more faithful to you, what it means to walk in your ways, to walk in faithfulness. Lord, let us not leave this place the same as we arrived today. Amen. Amen. Great. Take a seat. Take a seat. We're looking at faithfulness, um, and what we're going to do, first of all, is we're going to learn a new word, okay? I'm going to put it on the screen. M-U-N-A, um, M-U-N-A, okay? You guys say it? M-U-N-A. Okay, do it again, one more time. Okay, and one more time, so I'm convinced you've got it. M-U-N-A, and that is a lifestyle of obedience, a lifestyle of following God. And just so you guys know, this is one of many words that are used for faithfulness in the Bible. Some of them you'll find in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language in which it's written, and some you'll find in the New Testament. Now, in reality, I could probably do a whole series on the different words for faithfulness. Um, but today, we're going to just look at Amuna, a lifestyle of faithfulness. To be full of faith in God that it overflows into our actions and the way that we live. And what I want to do is I want to take two bits of the Bible, two key texts from the Bible, one from the Old Testament and one from the New, that's going to challenge some of our Western view of what faithfulness looks like. Because over the years, faithfulness has moved. It's moved from an active lifestyle of obedience to a head thing where we think about things inside our minds and we think ourselves faithful, but we don't act in accordance with that faithfulness. So let's go to the Old Testament, uh, book of Joshua, um, the first chapter and the first verse. And it says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses is aid. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you... And all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. That's the start of the book of Joshua. That is the start of God's correspondence with the person leading his people, Joshua. And so think about this for a moment. You have been following one of the patriarchs, the founder of the faith 
the person who has led your people out of slavery through 40 years in the wilderness. This guy has parted the Red Sea with a staff that God gave him under God's command. This guy has been up on top of mountains and he's brought down stone tablets. This guy is a hero. This guy is the guy that you look up to. doesn't matter like, who, whoever you are, whoever you look up to in your life. It's like God says in that moment, I want you to take that person's place. I want you to step into that person's shoes. Jumping from being in second place into the leadership capacity. Taking more responsibility for what's going on. And I don't know about you, but probably at some point in your life, you felt underqualified for something. But I bet when God said, hey, Joshua, take on Moses' job, I bet he felt a bit underqualified and a bit unable to do it. And so this is what God says to him. He says this. He says, I give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore uh, to their ancestors to give to them. What a promise. What a promise that God gives to Joshua in this moment. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Many a Christian uh, bookmark and inspirational scene has got the words, I will never leave you nor forsake you written across them. And this is the place where we see it written down in the Bible. But when I say what a promise... That's not the promise I'm talking about here. The promise is something a little bit more complex. And it's a promise that you might have missed, because I know I've missed it multiple times. But the promise is, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. That's the promise that God makes to Joshua. And uh, if you'll excuse the pun... The shoe is on the other foot now. Because God is saying, I'll be faithful to you. But in the moment where he says, I'm going to be faithful, he says, but I need you to be faithful to me too. I need you to step up, forgive the pun, and take responsibility for the land that I am giving you. He's giving it to the Israelites. He's giving it to Joshua. He's giving it to every single person who's part of that nation. Think about that for a moment. How does that change your perspective on the world in which you live? How does it change your perspective that when you walk into your office or your place of work, when you walk into your college, when you walk into the job center, the mums and tots group, wherever it might be, and you hear God saying to you, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. This place, God is giving to you. Let's get a bit weird. Take your shoe off. Come on, join me. Take your shoe off if you can do it. Take your shoe off. Take your shoe off. Come on. 
Thank you, guys. Look at the sole of your shoe. Everyone good? We've got shoes. Um, please don't throw them. Um, but take your shoe off. Look at the sole of your shoe. Think about every place that this touches during the course of the week. Every place this touches, God is giving to you. God is giving it to you to bring. You can put your shoe back on now. Um, that was harder than I anticipated. God's giving everything that your foot touches to you to be able to go and bring his reign into that place, to bring his way of living into it. Faithfulness looks like every part of this world and this life, you taking responsibility for it. The scriptures say that the world, the earth is God's and everything in it, and that is true. But he's giving responsibility to you. He's giving responsibility to you. And it changes how we think about it. Because if we abdicate responsibility, if we say this is God's, the world's God's, then God can fix this mess. God can fix my mess. God can fix their mess. But what God is saying to Joshua in this very moment is he's saying, oh no, Joshua, it's not their mess. It's not my mess. It's your mess. And I need you to step up and be a part of the solution. I need you to take the responsibility of everywhere you place your foot that you are going to be faithful. It's the ultimate test of faithfulness. That in the very moment that God himself declares himself to be faithful. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Great promise. Let's not stop there. Let's read around it and look at the context of what God is saying that, those words in. He reminds us of the first call, the call of the Garden of Eden to be good stewards of the land and take responsibility for the earth in which we are walking. So to understand faithfulness, we have to understand the ownership that God has given us over this land. So it carries on. Carries on, it says, be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. There's more. Yes. Uh, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. And this is where I want us to look in the, in the New Testament. At Jesus' interpretation of the book of the law. Because ultimately, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the commands and all of the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus is that fulfillment. So let's look at him. In Luke 10, we see these words. Uh, it says, what's, someone asks Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says this, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Did I not put that one on the slide? Sorry, guys. Um, 
Just as a side note, this appears in uh, three out of the four Gospels, I believe. It may even be in all four. Um, But uh, in this scenario here, it's actually not Jesus speaking. It's someone else. But in other ones, you do hear Jesus say those words. But um, what's coming out here is Jesus responding to what the greatest commandment is, the summary of all of those law and all of those prophets. And I want us to look at this word, emuna, and how it comes out in this next section. Because the religious expert who who asked Jesus what the greatest commandment is was not satisfied with the answer that he got because the answer was the right answer and Jesus wasn't caught in the trap that he tried to set for him. And so the religious expert goes, well, who is my neighbor? Who's that person? And rather than do what any other rabbi of the time would have done and embrace the teachings of the law or their expression of that, Jesus doubles down on emuna faithfulness by telling a story. And before, I, before we get in and connect with this story, I want everyone to know that the religious leader who asked Jesus this question already knew the answer. Look in Leviticus, it tells you who, who your neighbor is. It tells you who your neighbor is in there. Your neighbor is the fellow Israelite, the fellow Jew, the person who looks like you, who behaves like you, who thinks like you. They're the people who are in your family, the next door neighbors, those kinds of things. And so we get this story. Who, no, who knows what story comes next? Does anyone know? What is it, Matthew? Matthew. The Good Samaritan, as if there were some bad Samaritans out there as well. Um, Yes, one of the funny things is that Jesus doesn't name the titles of the sections of the Bible. They're named later by other people. So he doesn't go, hey guys, let me tell you the story. Come and have a seat. I'm going to tell you the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, he, he, He tells a story. He just gets into a story. And the story starts with a man going on a journey, doesn't he? He goes on this journey, and he's heading from where? He's heading from Jerusalem down. He's heading down from Jerusalem. And next step, he gets set upon by robbers. This guy gets beaten up and ultimately robbed by the robbers. Um, What happens next? Anyone want to shout out for me? What happens next? A little louder. A priest walks by. Good. First things first, a priest walks by. Who comes next? A Levite, great. So someone who's supposed to minister in the temple. So two people whose jobs are working in the temple. Good. And finally, yes, the good Samaritan arrives. Good news. Um, Many of us know this story. And it's almost second nature to us. In fact, we were probably so embarrassed to shout out the answers because we're like, well, of course, we all know the answers, Ed. It's the priest, it's the Levite, and then it's the good Samaritan. And the funny thing was that in Jesus' day, everybody there would have known that story too. Everybody there would have known the story too. When Jesus started to tell that story, they all would have gone, oh yeah, we know this one. We know how this goes. We know how this goes. Because the story already existed. Jesus is a great storyteller, an amazing storyteller. But this isn't an original work. It already existed. 
And just as you were able to shout out the next section in the story of the Good Samaritan, everybody listening to Jesus would have been able to shout out, well, it's the priest. The priest comes next. We've got that one, we know. Great, good. Who comes next? What's the Levite? The Levite's coming next. Yes, he is the next person on this journey. And they're all waiting for Jesus to say the third person who's coming. And it breaks their hearts when they do, when he does. Because they're expecting him to say the Jewish layman. The layman comes next. And he goes, and the Samaritan. And they go, sorry, what? Slow down here. The story goes that a man is heading up towards Jerusalem, that there is a a Levite who walks past, that there is a uh, priest who walks past, and then the Jewish layman arrives, and he does the good deed. Because the story wasn't supposed to challenge people in the way that it did. It was supposed to remind people that in society, the priest and the Levite have a job to do. And it's in the temple. And the Jewish layman has a ministry to do out in the streets. So they're waiting for that moment to be reminded by Jesus that the person who's supposed to love their neighbor and do it out in the streets is the Jewish layman. And Jesus goes, oh, hold on, guys. Hold your horses. The person who's supposed to do the ministering is not the Levite. It's not the priest. And it's not even the Jewish layman, it's everybody. It's everybody. And the other thing that Jesus does, really to twist people's melons a little bit more, is he, um, he switches the direction. He switches the direction. In the story that they all know, the priest and the Levi are heading up to Jerusalem, to the place where their job is, to the temple, where they are going to serve. And Jesus says, in this occasion, they're heading down. They're heading home from work. And on the journey to work, quite often we're, we're rushing, aren't we? Quite often, we, we don't want to get distracted. And in our modern day expression of this, if we saw someone on the side of the road, we wouldn't, get, we wouldn't want to get our work clothes dirty. We wouldn't want to have to spend the rest of the day covered in blood and guts and whatever else is going on in this scenario. We wouldn't want to be late for work. But what Jesus says here is that he's coming down. That means they're leaving. They're heading home. And they make a choice in that moment not to serve someone in the evening. When they aren't heading to work, when they can get home and probably do some ceremonial washing or whatever it might be. But these guys make a choice because they're expected to go and serve in the temple, but they're not expected to do anything when they get home necessarily. And so Jesus switches this round and ultimately points out that the priest and the Levite choose their own comfort over caring for someone in the street. And he introduces the Samaritan as someone who embodies Muna faithfulness. You know, the Samaritan felt deep pity, emuna. Sometimes faithfulness looks like allowing God to break your heart for a person or a situation. 
And it doesn't have to be the person in the street. It could be seeing someone treated badly in your place of work, in your, uh, your school, or just meeting people in, in a cafe or whatever it might look like. But it looks like deep pity. Amuna looks like soothing wounds and bandaging him. And sometimes faithfulness looks like practically doing something. Sometimes it looks like that. He put him on a donkey. He took him to an inn and paid for him. M. Una faithfulness sometimes looks like it costing you financially. And ultimately in this story, he crossed the road and took a risk. Sometimes M. Una faithfulness means that you are inconvenienced and you put yourself at risk. An interesting little piece in this is Jesus tells them that the good Samaritan pours on oil and wine. And Jesus isn't sat there going, well, here's the, uh, the ins and outs of the medical procedures that were going on. The pouring on of oil and wine are an indication of worship. Worship is not intended just for inside the temple, is what Jesus is saying there. Worship is in the streets. Worship is everywhere that you place your foot. Wherever you are, that is where worship should be. So immune faithfulness is more than just a set of beliefs about God. It is the very belief in God, a trust and reliance upon God, and then a behavior that is consistent and in line with that trust and that belief. And we're meant to fulfill the command to go and be good stewards, to be uh, good stewards of all the earth. Take possession of the land and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I think at times we're at risk of stopping at the, uh, the poster-worthy or bookmark-worthy Christian statements. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Or love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then not looking at what's around them that says love your neighbor as yourself. And I am giving you possession of this land. I am giving you responsibility over everything that goes on. Because for the good Samaritan... Faithfulness in this scenario looks like loving his enemy. Loving his enemy. And that's the culmination of the story. And that's the switch that Jesus makes. The switch that he makes is one from saying, this is your place in society. You stay in your lane. I'll stay in my lane. As long as we all stay inside our little boxes and we only serve in the places we're supposed to serve, then we've got it sorted. Society in its right place. That's the story that was always told and told over and over again. Stay in your lane. Don't step outside of the lane. And Jesus goes, basically, you've got it all wrong, guys. Faithfulness is loving your enemies. The fruit of the Spirit isn't some nice words that the Apostle Paul thought up and, and stuck in a letter to a church. These are very much the characteristics of God, characteristics of Jesus Christ, characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, and that very same author says, that we were once enemies of God. And it says, for, for, if, while we were enemies, for if while we were God's enemies, 
We are reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? When we were enemies of God, he sent Jesus. This story of the Good Samaritan is an echo of Jesus and what he did. He crossed the road. He crossed over to those who were enemies of his. And he went and did more than just show pity. He went further than caring for wounds. He went further than putting us on his donkey and he went further than paying for us in uh, an inn. And as he did that, as he demonstrated his self-sacrificial love, his self-sacrificial faithfulness, he asks us a question. When I say, I'll never leave you or forsake you, will you meet me? in taking my way of living, my faithfulness, wherever you place your feet? Will you go and possess this land? And will you love your enemy? Will you go to them? Will you bind up their wounds? Because that is truly what faithfulness looks like. Is it looks like crossing the lines. It looks like crossing the lanes, crossing the place that we've been put into and saying, you know what? I'm going to love that person, and I'm going to be faithful to that person, even when it's hard. I'll tell you now, I've had my fair share of bosses and fair share of friends and family members who make it very easy to, to love. But I've had a fair share out there that made it pretty hard to be faithful to them. That when they say, go and do something, I go, I'd rather not, thank you. You're not a particularly nice human being. You didn't ask very nicely. Your mother not teach you about your P's and Q's. We all have those people, and that's at a light level. But this story here, the Good Samaritan, puts it in a different level. Who's the person whose name you can't even speak out right now? Who's the person who you are so annoyed with that it consumes you? Because that's who it was for the Jewish people. That's who it was for the man in this story. Because Jesus goes, well, who showed the person mercy? Who was it? And the guy's response was, uh, well, who, who was the one who was a neighbor? He goes, it was the one who showed him mercy. It wasn't answering the question. He was avoiding the question. Because the answer was the Samaritan. And the guy couldn't even say the word Samaritan. And so I ask you this morning, will you step into a greater level of faithfulness in following Jesus? Because when we were enemies, when we should have been the people that even Jesus couldn't say the name of, because our sin separated us from God in that kind of way, we should have been those people that God couldn't even say. He couldn't say Ed. He couldn't say that. But Jesus steps out of his lane and he doesn't say this is where you belong and this is where I belong. He stepped into that. He stepped into that moment and he said, Ed, you are my son. And he says that to you. He says that to you. That when your name is graven on his hands or written in his heart, as people have sung this morning, God said that when we were still separated and still enemies. How much more if we are going to be people 
who are true disciples of Jesus Christ, how much more do we need to be doing that in our daily lives? How much more? Because what Jesus says to the teacher who asks him the question is, go and do likewise. He's saying, go and love your enemy. And so this morning, that's the expression of faithfulness that I want us to engage with. That's the expression of faithfulness I want us to connect with. Because it's about a lifestyle of action. It's a lifestyle of worship. And it's a lifestyle of saying, actually, whatever is preventing me from demonstrating God's love to that person, I'm going to have to set aside so that I can go and do likewise and show mercy to those around me. So if we're really going to possess this land for God, we're going to have to start walking differently. We're going to have to start walking differently. Walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Restore people back to life and love our enemies. So think back to the sole of your shoe. As you walk into this week, where are the places where your faithfulness to God is going to be put under the microscope? Where's the moment where you're stood in front of someone and you're going to have to make a decision to be faithful and honoring, even though that person doesn't deserve it? Where's the time where these shoes are going to have to carry you to a person and you're going to have to say, you know what, I'm going to care for you, I'm going to, I'm going to love you, I'm going to bind you up and I'm going to really cross that divide, even though we're enemies and I don't like you and you don't like me. But let's start walking towards those in pain. Let's walk towards those who've hurt us and let's show God's love. And ultimately, that is an expression of God faithful to us and it overflowing into our lives and our ways of working and living.